I want to uh, open the Bible for you, and I want to read to Luke chapter 5 this morning. Um, and I'm going to read some verses from verses 17 to 26 of Luke's Gospel and chapter 5. Starting at verse 17. One day, as he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them. He took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. In this story, uh, in Luke's gospel, we see two groups of people. We see um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They've come from all of the villages of um, Judea and Galilee, around Galilee uh, to hear Jesus teach and they are there, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And then we see this other group of people, these friends of the mat, these men that carry this paralytic, this paralyzed man on his mat to Jesus. They want to get their friend to Jesus so that he can heal him. The first group, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious experts, they were kind of in it for themselves. They were enjoying the show. They were listening to an accomplished teacher in Jesus, and they were listening to what he had to say, and they had traveled exclusively and extensively for this uh, sermon appraisal from Galilee, from Judea, from Jerusalem, to see Jesus in action. But their hearts were hard. They were critical and they were judgmental in their attitudes towards outsiders and towards Jesus himself. And the thing is about this group is that they were experts in the scriptures. They knew their Bibles as they were back then. They knew them inside out. They attended church or synagogue faithfully, all the prayer meetings and all the Bible studies. They had memorized scripture. They knew a lot of it off by heart. They knew a lot of things about a lot of things. And the second group were just simple people, friends of a paralytic, friends of a paralyzed man who knew somehow, deep down, instinctively, from what they'd seen and what they'd heard, they knew that if they could get their friend in the vicinity of Jesus, he would change their life and change his life. 
Two, two groups of people that we read about in this story. It was their friend, their friend that was paralyzed, their friend that was confined to a mat that they were desperate to bring to Jesus. If we fast forward from Luke 5 to Luke 15, we, we read three parables in, in quick succession that Jesus told. Uh, we read about the parable of the lost sheep, and we read about the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, or the prodigal son as we know it. Three stories that Jesus told, one after the other, a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. And Jesus told these stories, if we read forward in Luke 15, he told these stories to answer a specific criticism that was being leveled at him. The criticism that was being leveled at him by this group of people, these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, was that this guy, he likes to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And they took that as a criticism of Jesus. And so Jesus told this story to emphasize the heart of God towards lost people. The heart of God for people that are far from God. The heart of God for people that have messed up in life. For people that have chosen to disobey God. For people that have chased after other dreams. Sex and money and success and companionship. And Jesus told these stories. He said a shepherd would leave 99 sheep to go after one sheep that's lost. And a woman would sweep her house clean and search diligently for a lost coin. And a father would move heaven and earth for a lost son or a lost daughter. God radically and urgently and furiously loves people who are far from him and he wants to draw them to himself like a father waiting and looking for a lost son. And the more that we love God, the more that we relate to God in his heart, the more we will love people. The closer that our heart is to God's heart, the more we will reach out to the lost and the lonely and the disenfranchised and the rebellious and those that have wandered off and lost their way. It is simply impossible to love the Father without sharing his heart for people. We say as a church that we want to be a people-focused church. We want to be people that radically love the lost, the unchurched, those that don't know Jesus. And those that join us, we want to love those people and integrate them and make them a part of our church family. We want to be a people-focused church. And if we don't love people, we are fooling ourselves. The Bible is so clear if we say that we love God. We want to make sure, as we read this story in Luke chapter 5, that we belong not to the first group, the professionals, those that know their Bibles inside out, that can memorize it and quote it, but have hard hearts, particularly to those who disrupt or come in from the outside, or we want to be part of the second group, those that want to bring their friends, those that want to bring the outsider, those that want to bring those that are far from Christ 
to Christ. We want to bring people to Jesus. We want to expose people to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that he has for their lives. We want to make sure, every one of us, that we're part of that second group of people. Now, as we look at these guys carrying this man on a mat to Jesus, there were a lot of obstacles, weren't there, in bringing him to the feet of Jesus. There were these massive crowds that were thronging around uh, Jesus, that were packed in. You couldn't move. You couldn't elbow your way through. They were just so packed in to, to, to watch him and to listen to this amazing teaching, to see what miracles he would perform. And they were also carrying a stretcher as well. And they could very easily have reasoned there is just no way that we're going to get our friend to Jesus today. So maybe another time, maybe another way, another occasion. Individually, they could have probably worked their way through the crowd, possibly, but four of them with a stretcher, forget it. And sometimes I think when we think of inviting someone to an Alpha course or inviting someone to try church in a couple of weeks' time when we're saying, come on in and try church, listen to these stories and this gospel and this message about Jesus. When we try to get someone near to Jesus, we, we can think of the obstacles that we have to overcome in doing that. What are they going to say if we invite them, if we ask them? What if they think that we're being pushy? These pushy Christians always invite me to church. What if they get offended or they get defensive? What about the crowds? What about all those other things that people have to do in their lives? And what about the fact that they just don't seem interested? More than that, they're actually antagonistic towards the things of faith. Think about, for a moment, think about your most antagonistic friend or family member to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who can you think of that you think there is just no chance if I invite them that they're going to come? They're just so anti, they're just so antagonistic to faith, to Christianity. They just get so riled if you talk to them about it. Can you think of someone like that in your family? Or can you think of a friend like that or a work colleague perhaps that just seems a million miles away from faith? Where is that on the scale of kind of cynicism, in the scale of skepticism, on the scale of no hope. Now take that and multiply that by about a hundred and you've got the Apostle Paul. You've got someone who's breathing threats against Christians, who's got letters in his pocket to persecute the church, who wants to murder them, who stands by and watch Stephen stoned uh, for the gospel. Someone who's so full of writhing hatred for Christianity, for this way, he's so full of zeal against it. He's so against it all, and yet in one moment, God encounters Paul on the road to Damascus, and he, and he knocks him off his horse, and he radically changes his heart, and he becomes the chief writer of the New Testament, the chief preacher of the gospel, an apostle of faith, someone who reaches out to the Gentiles, who's used powerfully by God. And if you would, and I would have looked at Saul, struck Paul, we would have said, there's no chance of this man coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You might look at someone like Lydia, who was a 
a successful businesswoman in Philippi. And she had a lot going for her. She had a lot going on. She had a busy life. And yet we read that when Paul shared the gospel with her, the Lord opened her heart to receive what he was saying to her. We have story after story as we watch the Alpha Course and as we encounter Jesus ourselves and as we know people who've come to faith. God can turn the hardest heart around in a moment. God can encounter the hardest person, the person who is most skeptical of faith. He can turn them around in a moment and open their hearts to the gospel. He's done it again and again and again over the years by his mercy and his grace. Never underestimate, never underestimate the power and the ability of God to change a heart and a life for the gospel and never give up reaching out to those in your family and your friends and your neighborhood and your workplace with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because I know it is the power of God unto salvation for those that believe it. It has got the power in it to change lives. This word and this truth and this gospel. And underlying everything else, and notwithstanding the obstacles in the way, these friends knew that their friend was paralyzed. And they knew that only an encounter with Jesus would change him and would heal him. They were able to take the risk of fighting their way through the crowds. They were willing to climb up on a roof and with their bare hands start to make a hole in the tiles. They were willing to attract the irritation of the other respectable religious people as they lowered their friend in front of Jesus. And they were willing to do all of this because they had something else. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, for their friend, he said, sir, your, your sins are forgiven. What Jesus saw in them was, was faith was belief that, Jesus, you can do this. Jesus, you can heal this man. Jesus, you can touch this soul. Jesus, you can change this life. When Jesus saw their faith, he was moved to act. Their faith. They believed for their friend. They believed that Jesus could change his life. And that was worth taking any and every risk. It was worth the risk of rejection. It's worth the risk of looking stupid. It's worth the risk of failure because faith sometimes equals risk. But it's imperative that we all of us find our way into this second group of people, friends of the mat, rather than the first, the religious people who are primarily concerned about themselves. I know that we have many friends of the mat in this church. I was talking to someone about a young girl who came to our kids' club ministry on a Friday night. And someone picked her up faithfully and brought her so she could come. She then progressed on to our youth ministry. And someone sponsored her to attend a youth camp. And then someone else helped with her transport to enable her to attend on Sundays. And she met Jesus. And her life has been changed. Thanks to friends of the mat. And others of you have brought friends and colleagues to an Alpha course. You've sat with them and you've talked with them on issues of faith. And some of you have invited friends and family and colleagues to breakfasts and events with guest speakers and social gatherings and walks and Christmas services and Easter services. 
And some of you have opened up your homes and your heart to a neighbor, to someone in need. And many of us have prayed for friends and family to open up their hearts in faith. Many of you have been friends of the mat and are continue to be so. You're not simply content to enjoy Jesus for yourself and to sit in on a nice Bible study and to enjoy the teaching. You've, you've got friends who are paralyzed and far from Jesus who you need to bring to him, who you bring to him in prayer, who you bring to him with your love and your compassion. And you and I, like these men in Luke chapter 5, can develop faith that Jesus can change the lives of our families and friends. And one thing is for sure, we cannot stop trying. We must not stop praying. We cannot give up asking and pushing our way through the crowds towards Jesus. And so in a couple of weeks, as we highlighted, as Liz highlighted and Paul this morning, we've got Tri Church Sunday. We've got these invites that are at the back today, and we'd love you to, to take some. So in the morning, we'll have our church service and we'll highlight some of the things that are going on here and I will give a, a clear and open message about what faith in Jesus Christ means and we'd love people to come and try church, people that perhaps have slipped away from church or haven't been to church for years or we'd love for you to invite some of those people. And in the evening of that Sunday, we've got um, Rob Fowler, who uh, is the minister, who was at St. Matt's and he's up at Whitley planting a church, and he's got a great story of recovery from addiction, a very successful life up in London, and, uh, but got into a downward spiral in his life and had a, had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. And he's now, he's now planting a church and ministering the gospel at the other side of Plymouth. He's going to tell his story on the Sunday evening. It's going to be fantastic. And it is an absolute kind of one of those services where you can bring your friends and your family and whoever you can drag along uh, to, to encounter Jesus Christ. And you can have faith in your heart that Jesus can do something radical here through you and through as, as he meets them. We have many friends of the mat here and I invite you to avail yourselves of those opportunities. And let me widen this out just a little bit to all of us in that all of us need uh, friends of the mat as well. We're all paralyzed in some way. It's amazing and yet not so amazing to me that if you dig a little beneath the surface, everyone has got their issues. From the stay-at-home mum to the outwardly most successful businessman, the young person, the senior. We all of us need to encounter Jesus regularly. He is our only hope. What did Jesus deal with first when he met this paralyzed man? The presenting problem was the fact that he couldn't walk, that he was lying on a mat. That was the presenting problem, but Jesus didn't go after that. He went after the fact that he was a sinner. And he said to him, friend, your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus went after with this man first. He dealt with the man's sin. His greatest need was to be forgiven, to be set free from guilt. While we may concern ourselves with many things, many, many issues that trouble us and occupy us and lay us low, ultimately the greatest problem in our lives is sin. Alienation from God, the greatest need of our hearts is to be forgiven and set free from sin. And the greatest miracle 
that can happen to anyone is not the healing of a physical body. It is the healing of the human heart. The greatest miracle that can happen to you or, or to me or to my friend or to my colleague is to be forgiven of our sins. It's to be made into a new person in and through Jesus Christ. And Jesus dealt with this issue first before anything else. You know when you watch a politician on television being interviewed and they get asked one question and they give a completely different answer and they go round and round and the interviewer asks the same question and they avoid the question and give a different answer. It's so frustrating to watch sometimes. It's an art. It's a good answer, but it's got nothing to do with the question that I asked. And people are asking a lot of questions. Where can I find security? How can I be happy? How can I be significant? What am I to do with my life? When people encounter Jesus, they might ask many different questions. Why is there much, so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much pain and sickness? Why are so many Christians judgmental or... But sometimes Jesus doesn't answer these questions, at least not straight away, but the answer that he gives deals with the greatest need of our hearts, a new heart, a relationship with God, the forgiveness of our sins, a future in heaven. We sing a a song here which says, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. And with the paralyzed man, Jesus went on to deal with the other issues. He healed him and he commanded him to take up his mat and to walk. And Jesus is the only one. He's the only one that can deal with the sin of our lives and broken hearts and lives. So the Pharisees ask a true enough question as they hear Jesus speak these words, your sins are forgiven. They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? This man's speaking blasphemy. And Jesus, it says in verses 22 to 24, he knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. So the Pharisees were right in one sense. Who can forgive sins but God alone? True enough. What they didn't realize is that stood before them was the Son of Man, the Son of God, God himself in human form, Jesus Christ, who has the authority to forgive sins. And he wants that authority to be seen and expressed in this man's life. And so he speaks these words, your sins are forgiven. He has the power to restore and redeem a life, uh, your life and mine, and that of our family and that of our friends. This stain of sin, this crimson color of our sin as we sing about, he can make it as white as snow. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We read in in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he has forgiven all of our sins. He has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which hung over our heads and he has completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. And this is the remedy that we need. This is the power that Jesus has to change a life and a human heart. 
This really riled the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. What right has Jesus to forgive anyone? That's not fair, but this is the God we serve. And the fact is, we are all on the mat at some time or other. Sometimes we need carrying by our friends who have faith for us that Christ can make the difference. Sometimes we're paralyzed by our own guilt, our fears, our insecurities, by the weight of things that are going on in our life. And at such times, we need our friends and those who will support us and carry us and pray for us and take us to Jesus. Sometimes you're carrying the mat for someone else and sometimes you're on the mat. But most of all, we need an encounter with Jesus Christ. For some of us, the Alpha course, which we run twice a year here at our church, or Tri-Church Sunday, they give us a, a natural meeting place with Jesus that we can bring a friend to. And remember in all of this that no perfect people are allowed. So our response, your response this morning, please, would you do something? Would you, would you pray? And would you ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to mind, anyone to mind that used to go to church or that is far from church? Would you pray for that person? And would you pray that God's Holy Spirit would open their heart and their mind? Would you drop them a line? Would you give them a call? Would you send them a text or invite them out for a coffee? And then would you pray some more? Would you invite them to a service? Offer to pick them up and then leave the rest to God? Would you have faith in your heart for God to encounter them? And would you keep trying? Would you keep trying? Uh, recently we had a at Easter, we had a testimony evening. We had a, an evening of stories. And as I listened to people telling their amazing stories of encountering Jesus, of recovering from depression, suicidal thoughts, encountering Jesus, having their lives changed, I was struck by the work of the body of Christ. I was struck that this person had helped them and ministered to them and had gone out for coffee with them and helped them move house. I was struck that this ministry had reached out and prayed for them, that this group of people had... And as I listened to their stories, it wasn't often just one person. It was several people. It was several groups within the church. It was this small group. It was the Freedom Encounters Ministry. It was the Wednesday morning prayer group. It, it, was, it was this friend and this small group and this group of people and the Recovering Addicts program and... And I listened to these stories and I watched transformed lives. People that had encountered Jesus had come to faith. It wasn't often one moment. It wasn't often one person. It was the body of Christ reaching out in love, encompassing these people and drawing them into the gospel of Christ. And we had before us trophies of grace. We had before us people who had been transformed, who had been paralyzed on a mat and whose friends had brought them to Jesus. And it was heartrending and moving to listen and watch these stories as we do when we baptize people and listen to how they've encountered Jesus and come to faith. When I used to play rugby at school, I was, uh, I was one of the forwards and you would all go into the, um, the scrum 
and you would hold each other's shirts, but often somebody else would hold your shirt as well and pull you in tighter. And uh, you, could, you couldn't get out of the scrum sometimes as, as a pack you moved forward. And, and there's this aspect of the body of Christ. As people are on the periphery, grab their shirt and pull them in tighter into the scrum as we move forward into the gospel of Jesus Christ because every one of us has got our part to play in that. And sometimes you sitting down with someone, having a cup of coffee with them, or taking their hand and bringing them to a meeting, or picking them up on a Sunday, or baking a cake, or all of the other things, you're helping someone to come to Jesus. And Jesus said, you know, whatever you do in my name, you do it for me. If you give a cup of water, you do it in my name, you're doing it for me. Whatever you do, if you bake a cake in a couple of weeks' time, you're doing it for Jesus. So whatever you do, as you do it for the gospel's sake, as you do it to serve the body of Christ, you're doing it for Jesus. And what I read at the end of the story in verses 25 and 26 is, is when God moves like this, when God moves on a life like this, when people come to faith like this, it results in praise and glory to God. Immediately, we read of this man He stood up in front of them. Just imagine that scene for a moment. A man had been paralyzed, a man on a three-foot-by-six-foot mat, a man carried through these crowds, lowered through a ceiling. Immediately when Jesus spoke these words, he stood up in front of them. Imagine the electric atmosphere in that room as they watched this man before them. He took what he had been lying on, his mat, and he went home praising God. Now, I don't think he was doing that Anglican style. I think that was probably a fairly Pentecostal moment <laughs> where he was clicking his heels, he was dancing, he was singing, he was praising God because one minute he's on a mat paralyzed, the next minute he can walk. His life has been changed. Imagine him going home and praising God with his mat, swinging it around his head, doing the (laughs) hokey-cokey. So, you know, thank you, Father, for healing me. (laughs) And we read, everyone was amazed, and everyone gave praise to God. Imagine the praise party. Look at this guy. Look at his transformed life. That is amazing. They were amazed, and they praised God. And they were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen remarkable things today. When people get saved, when people get healed, when people get their lives transformed, when we baptize them in water, when they gradually come into the kingdom of God, it's amazing. It is awe-inspiring. It's wonderful on an Alpha day when we pray for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful when people come in and we see them touched by the grace and the mercy of God. It's all inspiring. And I think we need more of those moments. And I think we're going to see more of those moments as a church. I think we need to believe for those moments. That we'll be leading people into the kingdom of God. That we'll be bringing people to Jesus. That we'll be seeing lives transformed. And it will be awe-inspiring. We will praise God as we listen to their stories and their testimonies, you will praise God as you see your friend or your neighbor or your family member encountering Jesus. Because our God is an awesome God. 
And news about him is life-changing. And why would we be quiet about him? Or why would we let obstacles prevent us from taking other people to Jesus? And for ourselves, those of us who find ourselves on a mat, paralyzed, get into a place of community. Get into a small group. Get yourself surrounded by other Christians. Make sure you start to develop friendships of the mat. You cannot fly solo as a Christian. Allow others at times to carry you. And during response times and other times, don't be afraid to ask someone to pray with you and to pray for you. If you've been laid low yourself, spend some time in the presence of Jesus. Trust him from the bottom of your heart. And though he may not always give you the answers that you have asked for, he will deal with your greatest needs and meet the needs, the deepest needs of your heart. So two groups of people in, in this story, people who seem to have it all together, they know the scriptures, they professional Christians, if you like. Their hearts, they're so hard. They're judging these people who are trying to get to Jesus. And then you have these friends of the mat. We want to be friends of the mat. We want to be people who have faith that people are going to encounter Jesus Christ. And if you're on the mat this morning, we want to bring you to Jesus and have you encounter him. Let's pray together. Would you, would you do what I asked you to do a moment ago and, and think about that person, the, perhaps a, the most cynical, the most obstructive, the most seemingly far from God? Would you pray for them? Would you ask God to encounter them? Would you have faith for them? be friends of the mat. Lord Jesus, we, we want to have soft hearts, Lord. We want to be those people-focused church that, that, that love people and want to bring people to Jesus, that love and serve people and enable them to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we are here. So I pray, Lord, I pray for that colleague I pray for that son or daughter. I pray for that father or mother, that aunt, that uncle, that grandparent. I pray for that neighbor. I pray for that wife, that husband. I pray for um, those people that we work alongside, those people that we live alongside, that we encounter every day, people we see in the corner shop, people that we constantly meet. I pray, Lord, that our hearts will be filled with your love, the love of the gospel, the love of Christ. I pray that our hearts would be soft towards these people. I pray that we would increasingly pray and expect and have faith. And I pray there will be many, many times of joy and celebration in this church body where we are filled with awe at what God has done, that we praise God for transformed lives that we worship you and dance and sing and rejoice because of what you have done in our lives and what you have done in other people's lives and what you continue to do through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Father, I pray that we would be friends of the mat. I pray for this weekend coming up, Lord, to try church and the East End Carnival. I pray, Lord, it would be a great outreach of love towards our neighborhood. Pray for the ongoing outreaches through Kids Club and Jelly Beans and Love Thy Neighbor and the, the giving out of food and the ministry of, of all of our ministries as we reach out, Lord, we pray that there be a strong anointing on this church to reach those that don't know Jesus and to introduce them to Christ. I pray, Lord, that we will increasingly see people coming to faith. I pray you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. And Lord, if we are feeling that we are on the mat this morning, paralyzed in some way, I pray that as we are brought to you, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, your sins are forgiven. Now stand up and walk and dance and praise God. I pray, Lord, you'll bring freedom and deliverance and help us to encounter you in a fresh and a new way. And Lord, we all of us pray these things and ask that you'll continue to work on our hearts and in our lives. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And we believe that you hear us.